Good morning. It is so good to be here with you to see beautiful, living, real people in the sanctuary. So it is good to be able for us to all be back here and worship together. Elijah lived a long time ago. He would have been a contemporary of the poet Homer. When we read these stories of old, they seem in many ways alien and kind of strange to us. And yet, if you look at them again, you are maybe reminded of something you read in this morning's newspaper. And if you read the cast of characters down the list, well, what do you know? There's your name and my name. This morning, you and I are going to walk for a little while with our ancestor, Elijah. Who was he? Well, he was a two-legged mortal, and he was far from perfect. He was a lot like us. He was sometimes lonely, angry, depressed, afraid. We could see him weeping and complaining. He could be a bully. He could be a wimp. Sometimes he was wonderfully honest, and sometimes he struggled to be fully honest. There were times when he was just a big coward. But today, we see his courage. However, the most important thing about him was that he felt he had a hand on his life, God's hand. God had chosen him to tell the truth to the people of his time. And Elijah had chosen back the one who had chosen him. Now, what this means in biblical language is that Elijah was a prophet. He was a prophetic man. And in a way, when I talk about this, I'm kind of afraid and hesitant to use the word prophet because I'm always afraid that the picture in your mind is going to be of some wild-haired wizard that looks into the future with a crystal ball. Or maybe a very tight-brained, professional, religious person. A preacher, for goodness sakes. But we need to know and not forget that in Scripture, most of the professional, religious people are always too busy tending to their institutions to be prophetic. And prophets in the Bible are really not so hot at looking into the future as they are in just telling the truth in God's name to the people around them, the people of their age. Are you aware of the fact that in the living community of Jesus Christ, every single member has been called to be a prophetic man and a prophetic woman, to be members of a prophetic community? Has it dawned on you that when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were also saying yes to living a prophetic life? So how have you been doing at that? Well, how do you think that we've been doing together, prophetically speaking the truth of God to the people of Westchester? What we're up against is the same stuff that Elijah was up against. There really are no new false gods. They've all been hanging around since the earth was new. They just change their names ever so many decades to keep us confused. Now, the name of false god number one in Elijah's day was Baal. 
Do you know who Baal is? Well, really, you ought to, because you bump into him every day. He has huge offices on Wall Street and in Hollywood and branch offices everywhere, including Westchester, Ohio. He's into a little bit of everything. He publishes magazines. He makes most of the commercials you see on TV. He's into business. He's into politics. He's in the entertainment industry. And in America, at least, he's in the church. Sometimes I have actually caught him slipping through that door right there and sitting right here in these pews. Sometimes, and I hate to confess this, but it's true, I've caught myself bowing in his direction. Often he comes and he sits down beside me and he whispers in my ear, Baal is the god of growth and prosperity, the god of sexiness and success, the god of fertility and power. He's the god of you look marvelous and you feel marvelous and you ought to have all the prosperity you deserve. In Israel, his symbol was a bull, a bull for sexual prowess, a bull for raw power, a bull for economic boom time. Baal is bullish. Now, some of us women might be thinking that, gee, that sounds like a hopelessly male deity. But don't worry. He's inclusive. There is room for us here, too. In Israel, Baal had a girlfriend, a sexy, powerful goddess named Asherah. And she stood for everything that he did. And she is still around, too. You can see her all over TV. For instance, she's that cutie pie in the commercial who looks right into the camera and waves her silky mane and says, I'm worth it. That's her. That's her. And Mr. and Mrs. Bale are doing very, very well where we live. And here's how they usually operate. They almost never open up their very own shop. Now, in a land that is as big as America, you can always find someone who are, is willing to worship nothing but Baal, but not usually. Usually what Baal will do is attach himself to a real religion. He's a parasite. He's a leech. He will almost never say, worship only me. What Baal will almost always say is, worship God. Oh, please, please worship God and have me too. In Israel, when the cult of Baal was at its height, nearly everybody in the land worshipped the living God too. Even King Ahab, who was really big into Baal, when he had children, he gave them names with God's name in them. He was a devout man. He went to church along with everybody else. He, they read their Bibles, gave their offerings, sang hymns to the Lord, and, and, they had Baal. They acknowledged his power, and most of all, they lived by his way. You see, it's just a matter of being practical. Just being practical. Because God is one thing and faith is another, but you've got to stay ahead. You've got to live by the rules of the place. In an article that I recently read, it said that 86% of Americans identify with Christian denominations. Well, 
isn't that a relief? We're all believers. And Baal just grins and leads almost all of us in his way. You've got to be practical. In our world, Baal's system is what works, isn't it? The problem is, Baal does have a little breakdown every now and then, and every now and then it becomes more evident than usual that he is unable to fully deliver the resources when we need them. In Israel, it was a drought. Three years. Three years and not a drop of rain. And in those days, all the business was agriculture. So rain made the whole system prosper. So Baal was linked to rain, the energy source for the whole system. And it was drying up. You and I would more likely speak of an energy crisis, an oil shortage. Or maybe you would speak of a recession, of people everywhere losing their jobs, everybody in debt, nobody able to save money, many, many people just barely surviving, the system breaking down and everything just seems to be falling apart. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? When this happens, it becomes time to ask, have we been leaning on something unstable here all along? If this doesn't work, what will work? If this stuff and all its resources dries up on us, where can we turn to for unfailing resources? And so, Elijah says to King Ahab, gather all of Israel together at Mount Carmel, bring all your 450 prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of Asherah, and they all gather together at the mountain. And Elijah speaks to the people. How long will you go on limping between two commitments? You have been serving two systems, which is a lot like hopping on one leg and then on the other leg. How long will you stand on both commitments? Your faith isn't growing because you haven't chosen a single path. One God. You've got one foot in this path and one foot in this path, and you've pity-patted yourself all the way down into a hole. And you're stuck. For how long? If the Lord is God, commit yourself to the way of the Lord. And if Baal is God, commit yourself to the way of Baal. And the people? Well, the people didn't say anything. When you have been split for a long time between two systems, it is really, really hard to finally say no to one so that you can say yes to the other with your whole heart. So Elijah proposes a contest, a kind of cosmic cook-off. The prophets of Baal build an altar, lay on the wood, slaughter a bull, put the bull on the wood, and pray to Baal for fire. And Elijah would do the same thing and pray to the Lord for fire. So the issue, which system delivers real resources, real help when you need it? Baal's altar is first, and his representatives do the setup and start calling on their God from early morning until noon. They cry out over and over again, Baal, Baal, answer us, send us fire. But there's no answer. No answer. 
but the buzzing of flies on a dead bull. Around noon, Elijah got sassy. Louder, boys. Maybe he's gone to Disney World. Or maybe he's having a power lunch. Maybe he's taking a nap. Louder. And so they cried louder and louder, and what's more, they took their swords out and began to cut themselves until the blood spurted down. Now technically, this is what is called imitative magic. It's when you beseech a deity to do something by imitating that something yourself. So you want Baal to flow down with his life essence? Well, you have to get him started by showing him the flow of your own life essence. But what's really going on here? What's really going on is the picture of what happens whenever you and I are serving false systems, false gods. It always means that the burden of managing and manipulating and controlling is on us to the point of self-destructive behavior. And we can't feel too distant or too smug from these self-mutilating pagans. If you have ever been a workaholic and you have burned it at both ends to make the system produce for you what you thought it should produce, then you are cutting yourself for a false god. Have you ever tried so hard to be accepted that you did what you had to do, you had to please who had to been pleased, and you jumped when someone said jump, and you owned what you had to own to prove yourself acceptable? Then you are mutilating yourself in the service of a false god. And the saddest thing is that you will never find what you're looking for there. The saddest thing is that some of us will cut and cut and cut ourselves until we die. By three o'clock, Baal's petitioners were spent, and their God had made no fire for them. And Elijah came to the people and said, come closer, come closer. He prepared the altar of God. How did he do it? He took 12 stones, 12 memories, 12 reminders of a God who had acted in history to set 12 tribes of slave people free. And he laid it on the wood, and then he killed a bull, and he put the bull on the wood, and then as if to say that our God is able to overcome any obstacle, he took water. And he slushed it all over the bull and the wood and the altar and everything until it was all just standing in water. And then he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, show this day that you are God. Show this people that you are God and that you have come to turn their hearts back to him. And the fire came. Not a spark, not a flicker, but falling fire from heaven. And it ate up the meat, and it burned up the wood, and it licked up the water, and it blew up the stones. There was nothing left but smoke. And when the people saw it, they fell to their faces and cried, The Lord is indeed God. 
We've all had our turn beseeching the power of Baal. And to some of us, he has given some of what we thought we wanted for a while. Some pleasure, perhaps, a little success, some approval points that we thought we needed. But in our world, those things dry up very soon, and we feel empty and anxious inside. Is that you today? When we feel empty, we know that something else has been needed all along. Something that we can't manage or manipulate or hold in our hand or even use for ourselves. Something like fire. Fire of courage, fire of integrity, fire of faith, fire of true love. And you know whose hand holds this fire and who alone can breathe it into a life or a family or a church or a people. The Lord and no other one is able to impart those real resources when we need them that never, ever fail because the Lord is God. Now, this is the part where I want to stop reading and say, okay, they all lived happily ever after. Let's go home now. But you can't just cherry pick the things you want in the Bible and leave the rest. So there's more. It says that Elijah takes the 450 prophets of Baal out and he slaughters them. And when we hear this, something in us winces. And it should. Because Jesus Christ, who stands over this text and stands over us, has commanded us never to do violence, even to our enemies. And yet there is something deeper here that urges us to look. And I have come to understand that there are at least 450 prophets of Baal in me, dancing and calling and drawing out blood in me. But if the Lord is God my God, that I must put them to death. If the only real resources, if the only unfailing fire is found in God's hands, then these anxious impulses we have to go reaching for the wrong thing must die. So why did you come here today? Did you come here to worship the living God? And who did you bring with you? Did you bring the usual delegation of pagans that populate your soul, who keep you always limping between two commitments, who keep you from choosing one path, one God, one freedom? If it is indeed the living God who meets us right here every Sunday, we shouldn't just sing a few songs and chat with each other and go home. Something in us should die. We choose today, with all our minds and hearts, to commit to more fully surrender ourselves to God. So that all that we have been serving, that can't put real fire into our living, choose today to be done with it. Let the Lord be God, your God and let there be fire from heaven. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, let our minds and hearts be filled with the profound truth of the gospel this day. 
align our wills with those holy purposes that risk for others and that radiate the presence of the Savior we serve throughout our community and our world. Through Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen.